Welcome to the Ordinary Investors Podcast with your hosts, Sean and Leah Baker. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. We are honored to have David Gustizia as our guest today. David has a background in mortgages and investing. Uh, he is the managing partner at Vision Mortgage Group and also Vision Capital Partners. Uh, David, let's uh, hear a little bit more about yourself and can you take us through uh, a little bit about your journey and then we'll, I'd love to go into uh, the mortgage side of things uh, today, if that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Sean. So um, myself and, and my partner, we run two mortgage teams. Um, we have our Vision Mortgage Group, is our, which is our residentially focused team. Um, we have Vision Capital Partners, which does commercial financing. Um, you know, most of our clients and, and most of what we focus on is in the investment space. Um, our background is really, for myself, you know, been in the, the mortgage industry for quite some time, spent some time in wealth management before that. And really, for me, it, it came down to as somebody managing funds and, and in the wealth management and financial planning space, there came a time that I felt like I could help our clients grow their wealth better through understanding productive uses of leverage and mortgages as opposed to traditional financial products. Um, and so that's kind of how the partnership between myself and, and my current partner, Sudana Chuck, was born around, you know, coming together and creating this team that allows people to really understand how simple it can be to move into the real estate investment world uh, and how so many people can be very well positioned for that, that, that they wouldn't otherwise know and really help them create that vision, help them create that pathway um, and then follow them through on the execution. So that's really what we do as a team. Um, personally, I've been investing for about the last, I guess, seven years now. Started, you know, pretty early out of school, um, diving into like a really basic like condo acquisition in Oakville with, with my now wife. Um, and at that time, investing was even easier, right? Like everything cash flowed. You know, condos in Oakville were a couple hundred grand. Um, you didn't really have to focus on too much of what you were buying or how you were buying it. Pretty much everything you did made a lot of sense. And so from there, um, we jumped into doing a few more of those. We did a few flips, um, got into more of the multifamily space for cash flows. So started looking at acquiring some triplexes, some fourplexes, uh, did some work with different joint venture partners. And then now our, our focus is more in the larger commercial multifamily space. So most of what we do now in investment is like larger apartment buildings, um, you know, anywhere from kind of eight, nine, 10 to 20, 30 units, uh, where we're going more down the commercial financing road and into kind of the larger um, apartment building investments. Awesome. So that's qu quite the journey. I love uh, that you share with us your experience from all facets as well from the wealth management side of things uh, from the mortgage side of things and then uh, going down the investment path there too um, from the mortgage side of things if somebody was to be starting out that journey um, I guess I'd like to go in two directions here number one advice around if you're looking at a investment property as your first property and then number two for those that have owned a property and possibly have owned it for a while maybe accessing some of the equity uh, in order, and, and what you did mention was leverage, uh, accessing some of that equity to be able to get into the investment space and, and what that would look like. 
Yeah, the, I think both really great questions, Sean. So actually we, so that first Oakville condo, that was actually our first property. We owned three investment properties before we ever owned one that we could live in. Um, and I think at the at the time, the fundamentals of that made sense. I think now the, fundals, the fundamentals of that make even more sense because what we're seeing in the market right now is the places that it makes sense to invest, the places where the cash flow makes sense, where the properties are able to cover their mortgages, are sometimes not the places that people need to live and work, right? And so we actually work with quite a few clients right now that have fairly significant portfolios, right? So maybe they work like in Toronto, they're renting something nice that they like in, in you know, the inner GTA, um, but they didn't feel like it made sense for them to journey into home ownership in that space, or they needed to stay flexible because they move around a lot for work. And so their focus is really, hey, I want to be in real estate, but it doesn't actually make sense for me to own the place I live. So I'm going to go ahead and rent or live with family or whatever the case is um, and work behind the scenes to basically create a real estate portfolio that makes sense, properties where the cash flow makes sense. Um, but I don't have to do that locally. And I think so that's a really big piece for, for potential investors right now is to understand that you are not restricted to investing in the areas that you live in if the area you live in doesn't make sense for investment. Um, and so that can be a really great path to building wealth and building a portfolio is by saying, where are the areas in Ontario or Canada or otherwise that make sense for me to invest? And then, you know, that doesn't have to correspond to where you're living. And it's like, how can I build out an investment strategy in those areas that make sense, right? Um, the benefit that those people have, you know, twofold really number one they don't have a lot of equity tied up in a primary residence so often their ability to come up with down payments is a lot greater um, the other piece is they're also not burdened with the debt of a primary residence right um, most investors that are getting into it when you're looking to qualify for rental mortgages you're already factoring in potentially a really substantial personal mortgage as well and so that can sometimes make it challenging to qualify to get into the investment space um, so for people, especially even those that live at home, right, I have a lot of lenders where the, the placeholder that they'll use for a shelter cost is like 500 bucks. So, you know, you're basically applying all of your income towards that ability to qualify for the rental property when you're still like living at home and growing your down payments and, and looking to jump into the investment space. And that's actually how my, myself and my wife got started was we were still living in our respective homes with our parents at the time. We were quite young. And. And it just made the most sense for us to deploy the capital that we had saved into rentals instead of deploying it into something for us to live in. That's awesome. I love that you went there. Uh, and it's a total mindset shift. I'm, I mean, uh, my wife and I, we went down a similar journey, but we owned our first home as, and I, I would say that we always uh, approached it as uh, whatever you buy on your first home, make sure that it can become your first rental later on. And that did, we made the transition to where we currently live in Guelph, but we got sticker shock going down closer to the GTA where it just didn't make sense. And we yeah. continued to rent, continued to acquire. And then that uh, thought process behind, hey, can I use my borrowing power to better affect my life in the long run and continue to acquire? So, excuse me. Yeah, no, I love that. You no, know. absolutely. And I, I think the other thing we didn't touch on, but I think it's something like really relevant to, to what's going on in the real estate market right now is this whole concept. I mean, there's a million names for it, but a, a lot of people call it house hacking, right? Um, and so this concept that like, and, and it's so not ingrained in Canadian culture, 
right? But if you look outside into other areas of the world, you look into Europe, you look into Asia, like this is a huge part of how people typically live. Everybody is like, I want to buy a home and I want it to just be my home. Um, when there's so much opportunity, there's so much additional leverage, there's so much benefit for people that, you know, maybe you can't go afford that $600,000 bungalow in the outskirts of the GTA. Um, and maybe you, you could qualify for it, but, but it's kind of tight and it would take a huge portion of your income and it just wouldn't leave you with a very comfortable lifestyle. Well, you know, you, you add a couple hundred grand to that picture, right? Now you're, you're playing at 800 instead of 600, but you're buying a triplex, right? And so, you know, you have a unit to live in. Um, not everybody loves living in a building with other people, but most people that are renting are doing that anyways, right? They're living in a, a duplex or triplex or fourplex or an apartment building where they have neighbors, they have downstairs and upstairs neighbors, whatever. Um, and so you're, you're being put in a situation where you're almost able to cover the entire mortgage with the rents of the other units in the property. We, we have an analysis for a client who's looking at this right now and, and they have an offer under contract where um, it's an $850,000 purchase and net of the rental income that they'll be bringing in, they're only gonna have about $700 of mortgage to pay and the utilities for their unit and that's it, right? So for them, you know, they were able to come up with a down payment, they were able to qualify, they're now living for cheaper than it would be to rent a room in that city yet they own an $850,000 asset and they have two other tenants that are substantially paying down their mortgage for them every month. And so I think just kind of shifting the mindset away from like the first home I buy has to be a house just for me. I think it's really important for people trying to get started and get their foot in the door in the housing market to be able to really take that next step and realize that maybe the first home isn't a nice white picket fence, you know, American dream style bungalow. It's like, hey, we're going to buy a multifamily. We're going to live in a unit and collect some rents to help with the cash flow, especially with what's going on with inflation and cost of living right now. It makes a big difference. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, that's the advice I've been giving for years now is that our, our idea of that uh, entry level starter home has shifted, you know, it's, uh, you know, we saw this on TV shows as we grew up, and this is the ideal. But in reality, when you actually go and get qualified for a mortgage, you're going out and you're shopping, um, you realize that, hey, my qualifications might not stretch as far as I'd like them to go and buy what I want. Um, so definitely a way to yeah, get into the market is uh, exactly house hacking, getting additional rents coming in. Uh, the other one uh, I'd love to touch on is like co-buying. Uh, similar to what you're doing right there, but you know, if you have a partial down payment, a friend's got a partial down payment, doing that same type of strategy where you're both, uh, you know, controlling that uh, uh, monthly cash flow issue that you're going to have by going out and purchasing that home, you're sharing in both the equity, the upside of that property, and uh, sharing the expenses each month, right? So, um, absolutely, absolutely, and it makes it makes so much sense, even from a pure investment standpoint, right? I've had kind of this idea of co-buying, this idea that like, you know you don't have enough down payment, you don't have enough qualifying capacity, you and your friend or your sibling or your cousin or whatever are going to get together and pool some capital together and, and be able to get in the market together. And it, and it can be a really effective way to go. Um, but I think, you know, for most home buyers looking kind of closer to the GTA, the, the differential in price point is really, I don't want to say negligible, but it's pretty negligible, right? Like that single family home in, the, in a city might be six, 700,000. 
you know, a duplex might only be seventy five or eighty thousand dollars more, but but now there's two hundred grand of income coming in. You go to a triplex, that might be another seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars more. Well, now you got like four grand of income coming in. And you go you go to a fourplex, it even gets more extreme. Um, and it just makes so much more sense to be able to do that and get your foot in the door and have that accessory income and start really building wealth and paying down those mortgages aggressively and, and living almost for free. Um, it's just such a no-brainer right now. And the the other thing that people don't realize is that also significantly helps your qualifying, right? Like when the lenders are looking at that situation, you're buying that multifamily space, that extra income that's being brought in by those other units, that's helping lift your pre-approval. And, it, and it, for a lot of people, it's helping them to get to a level of mortgage approval that they wouldn't otherwise have the purchasing power to buy in that city. That's awesome. That's a very, very good point. Uh, being able to qualify for a little bit more and boost that uh, qualification up just because you have the extra rent. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, for for Now, we've talked a lot on the people that are looking to get into the market. What about somebody that, you know, currently might have that mortgage debt um, that they that they have on the books, but they also have a little bit of equity that they might be able to tap into in order to, um, you know, start going into the investment space? Uh, what would what kind of advice would you give to them? Yeah, so I, I think with that, there's there's kind of the, I'm going to call it now the more traditional investor approach, right? This is what, you know, most of the investors that have built wealth over the last 10 years have been doing, which is this idea of recycling equity, right? And usually it starts with owning your home. So if we look at, again, you know, I'm sure there's people all over listening to this, but in most areas in Canada, um, the home prices over the last you know, three years, five years, 10 years have gone up very substantially, right? So there's a lot of people who have been comfortably living in a home. They have a mortgage now that is a, a fraction of the value of the house. And so there's a ton of, I'll, I'll call it debt equity sitting there, right? Because that house will continue to appreciate at the same rate. Let's say you have a million dollar house. That house is going to continue to appreciate at the same rate, whether you owe nothing on it, whether you owe 300,000 on it, or whether you owe 800,000 on it, right? And so all of that additional equity that you're storing in that home, it's not being productive. And so for a lot of investors, the strategy is to be able to refinance that current property, extract your down payment, right? Extract perhaps some renovation budget, um, extract some closing cost budget, all of the capital that you need. Because for a lot of people, it's really once, once you're in your own home, very hard to save for that next down payment, right? Especially with the real estate prices today. So you're, you're using the leverage of that existing property to refinance, extract all of the money that you need for that rental purchase, right? And then now you're going into that rental purchase, having all of this capital available that you wouldn't have otherwise had, and then you're able to deploy it into you know, productive assets that are going to provide cash flow. Um, this is really even extrapolated with what we're seeing going on in the rate market right now, because we're seeing so much opportunity for people coming up for renewal. Obviously, a lot of people's rates are going up. You know, a lot of people are in variable rates and the you know, sixes, some even in the sevens right now, um, where this can be a really opportune time to do that equity extraction because the lender discrepancy has really opened up. And, and what I mean by that is for most of Canadian history, the rates of a similar type of mortgage between different lenders have some variance, but typically not very much, right? Um, so kind of from the best rate going to the worst rate going, you're typically looking at, at a pretty small spread, maybe 0 0.2, 0 0.3, 0 0.4 of a percent at most. 
Um, right now, what we've seen just based on different banks and different institutional risk tolerance is I could have, you know, one mortgage at Scotiabank that today they're pricing 6.29 on a five-year fixed and TD could price that same mortgage at under 5%. And so what we're seeing is that this idea behind lender selection is now mattering a lot more than it might have a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. And it's like for people coming up for renewal with some of these institutions that are not being competitive today, um, it's this prime opportunity to say, hey, instead of renewing your mortgage, let's go you know, hunt a better rate at the same time this is giving us a huge opportunity to actually put an equity extraction play uh, into that as well, not just get the better rate move to a lender who's going to give you more attractive product, but also pull those funds out for that down payment, right? And when we do that, at the same time, we're looking at two deals at once. We're saying, how can we qualify you to extract this equity and get this down payment? Now, let's assume we do that. Now we're going to do a second round of pre-approval and say, if deal A goes through and now you have this new higher mortgage balance and you have this um, this cash available. Now, what kind of position are you in to qualify for a rental acquisition? And so I think it's really important to kind of have line of sight for the whole process, because you don't want to go through the process of extracting all this equity, paying interest on all this additional money, and then being told that, oh, well, actually you can't qualify to buy rental, right? So it's really important that when somebody goes through this journey, they're, they're looking all the way to the end before they transact on the first piece, right? And so that can really help just your, your average homeowner move into rental um, rental properties and build a rental portfolio. We had one client that we're working with right now that they've actually paid off their house and we've set up a strategy where they're gonna be able to extract about seven figures out of the current home and deploy it and acquire five rental properties over the next 12 months. So they're gonna go from sitting on a whole bunch of equity in their home that isn't doing anything to having a portfolio of 15 to 20 doors. We're going to be doing a triplex or fourplex probably for each of those properties within the span of a year. Right. And now they have, you know, five other properties with 15 to 20 units that are all creating income, creating cash flow, and creating wealth for them. And so that's, that's, you know, a huge win for them to be able to move in that direction. Wow. And that's all off of one property that they're refinancing. Yeah. That is a big life changing uh, situation right there. That's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's huge. And I think for most people, it comes down to the information and the guidance, right? And I think this is something that you constantly see in the media. You know, I don't want to say it's it's getting bashed, but but this whole idea of like investors, you know, creating this this rental crisis and everything like that. Like the reality is, there's lots of people that still need to rent. There's lots of demand in that rental space and it isn't just because real estate prices are too high right renting is a choice for for a large portion of canadians um, and so there has to be people that are acquiring properties to provide that and and especially for these smaller properties the duplex the triplex the fourplex you're not seeing the big real estate investment funds playing in that space right most people renting a home are renting it from like an individual landlord right not like a professional investment corporation um and so I really think there's so much potential for people to dive into that space and they just, they need to be able to have the people behind them to educate them as to how they can do that, how it's going to be effective and help them model what that looks like and how that's going to change their life. Yeah. And I think it's important to know, like you hear all this stuff inside the media right now, that's generalized, right? Each area is going to have its own 
you know, effects on what happens inside that area. And Ontario is really, really strong. Like when we're looking yeah. at uh, where the majority of people, we're not going to stop with immigration. And in fact, there's mandates to have more immigration coming on in the next few years as well. And the majority of people are coming concentrated to Ontario. So like uh, the opportunity there is there for the sustainable growth of rental property values as they, uh, you know, continue to have the supply and demand issues, right? So it's uh, definitely not people that are going out there and the investors eating it all up. It's that we just have a housing shortage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think, you know, part of all of that is just, and, and I think this is what we've seen for a long time is helping people understand how to make sense of that and how to, you know, get into this game without necessarily being a part of the problem. And, and I think there's an educational piece about the fact that rental property, owning a rental property isn't necessarily a completely passive investment opportunity, right? Like there is work that goes in. It's important to dive into the space and be a good landlord, understand how to do this right. And, and when you do that, it's a win-win, right? You, you are a good landlord. You provide a good product for tenants that are interested. You get you know paid well to do so. Um, and so it, it creates a, a really nice balance. And most of what you see out there, a lot of the negative media attention is spurred by, you know, people doing this that don't take the time to educate themselves on how to be a good landlord, right? And they're, they're being predatory. They're not following the rules. They don't understand the LTV obligations. And, and so, you know, getting into this, being informed, it, it can be very, very beneficial to, to both sides. Awesome. Um, and uh, you mentioned as well the current rate environment on what's going on and the, the competitiveness within uh, the banks and there being more opportunity there. Where do you see opportunity for investors with the current rate environment and where I guess we're projected to go to? Where would be yeah, some good opportunities think, for people? I think it's very dependent on the individual and on the investor. I think, you know, a couple high level points. Um, Scotia, who right now has been very vocal and, and to, to be completely fair, like I love Scotia's product, they're one of the best products in the industry but they've been very vocal around the fact that they're not looking for mortgage business right now. And the easiest way for a lender to control origination and control volume is by controlling rate, right? The, the less competitive you get, the less new business you're going to achieve and the less business you're going to retain, the more competitive you get, the more business you're going to get. And so they've been very intentional and very open and public about the fact that they don't want to be competitive right now. Um, the, the difficult part about that for investors is Scotia was always and, and continues to be, for the most part, one of the most lenient banks in terms of rental qualification. And so what that means for a lot of people is that I know many, many investors who have very significant parts of, parts of their investment portfolio with Scotia, right? That creates a bit of a challenge because a lot of these people, as they come up for renewal, are being offered rates that are not kind of, I'll call them in market, right? And so I think the most important thing for any investor to do, whether they have fixed mortgages or variable mortgages or a blend of everything, is basically getting a review by, by somebody who understands how to optimize your position, right? And so a lot of the work that we do with investors isn't just related to acquiring and growing the portfolio. It's like, here's the portfolio I already have. Maybe I'm comfortable with it. Maybe I'm, I've you know, got enough properties, I'm good with what I have, I don't need more, but can we restructure the debt strategy into a situation that's more advantageous. And so, you know, I would encourage anybody that has variable rate mortgages, especially 
to you know look at that because i'm seeing again huge spreads some of these people have legacy variable rates that are amazing they're still in the high fives it's still really competitive some of these people are in variable mortgages that are like over seven percent where there's you know sub five percent opportunities out there right now that can help pull their cash flow back in line um help you know give them a boost to cash flow if they already have it and so just having this idea of like a holistic planning review to really understand in depth are you in the most optimized position with the existing portfolio or not? Um, and that, you know, getting any deeper than that is really personalized to the portfolio and to the investor. The other thing that I think we see a lot of, and I think I would encourage a lot of people to think about, investors tend to be very sticky. Um, investors don't like selling things, right? For them, it's it's very much, I know some people that are like, I'm never going to sell a property, like anything I ever live in, anything I ever own, I'm gonna own it forever. Right. And I'm not going to move until I have the ability to refinance that last one and, and buy something new. And I think it's a little bit of a misguided approach, especially in the current environment where people think that just because they happen to own something like it's a good investment. Um, you know, the two questions that I ask to every investor that comes to me with a portfolio would be if you had, you know, let's say you have a, a condo in toronto it's worth eight hundred thousand dollars and it rents for a couple grand a month right if you had that money to invest today is that the property you choose right the answer to that question is no you might want to think about selling it the second question is if you put that property on the market is there a chance that another investor would buy from you if the answer to that is also no then you really need to start thinking about selling it. Because what that means is that property may not make sense to continue to hold as an investment in the current environment. And it may make sense to sell it, extract the equity, then redeploy that capital into somewhere or something that makes more sense. And so for a lot of these properties, you know, single family home investment and, and condo investment, a lot of that was very prominent five, 10 years ago. And a lot of those people have made tremendous amounts of equity by having done that. But maybe those properties, some of them don't make sense to continue holding, right? And you can get better return, better yield, better cash flow by selling them, repositioning it and moving into a different direction. And so, you know, no different than a fund manager or a stock portfolio, you know, they're going to buy and sell as as the companies make sense to hold and, and not hold. And there always has to be an entry point. There always has to be an exit point. And I think a lot of investors forget to think about the exit point. I think that that's totally awesome points both of those and i think that we've been going through that ourselves like we were those investors that never wanted to liquidate anything and yeah. now we're rethinking that with those same questions is that is this the best use of the funds especially when we have a lot of equity tied up inside properties right could we take some of that equity and turn it into three or four houses rather than that, that just that one and have our Absolutely. money for us harder, right? Absolutely. And, and especially with the current rates, like a lot of people's knee-jerk reaction when they have that equity is to refinance. And then it's like, well, you know, some of the properties that somebody has, they might only cash flow because the mortgage is so small, right? If you refinance those to 70 or 80% of the value, seen times where I've analyzed it for somebody, it's like, you're going to be negative 2,000 a month cash flow on this. So it really doesn't make sense. Even if I can get you qualified to refinance it, it really doesn't make sense to do so, right? So if you want to get the equity out of this, your play is to dump it pay the tax. Everybody hates paying capital gains tax, but it's like, you made a whole bunch of money. The government's going to get their cut. Like stop being so worried about that piece of it. Right. Understand what that tax liability is going to be before you sell, like do the review with your accountant, understand what that looks like. Um, but we've helped a lot of people really grow their portfolio, really 
optimize their equity, sometimes not by refinancing and restructuring debt, but helping to advise on, hey, these are four or five, six properties that it actually makes sense to dispose of. And if you do that, here's how much cash you're going to be left with out of your taxes. And once you do that, here's the kind of qualifying capacity you have to go deploy that into something more productive. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so what type of advice would you give to, I guess, uh, somebody looking to get into the market today um, as far as uh, um, if you were to be in their position today, where would you start? Yeah, so I think there's a couple really key important factors. I think the first one is to be informed, right? And that can come through one of two ways. It can come to, you know, being and, and listening to podcasts like this, educating yourselves, going to, to you know, investment seminars, things like that. Um, but that can also be hugely supplemented by having the right power team, right? Having the right realtor, having the right accountant, having the right mortgage broker, having the right lawyer, like having these, this set of professionals that can come together and give you proper advice and guidance, the people in my world and the clients in my world that are most successful are the ones that kind of have their power team together. They know who they're dealing with. They know that the advice you're getting is robust by people who live it and breathe it and do it every day. Um, and then the other thing that I, I think right now is just making sure that you understand the numbers and the analytics, right? If you buy this property, does it cash flow? If so, how much? Have you budgeted for things outside of mortgage payment and property taxes? Have you budgeted for property management? Is that something you want to engage or are you going to self-manage? Have you budgeted for longer-term repairs and maintenance? Have you budgeted for vacancy? Like having the ability to really get deeper on the analysis, pinpoint what the rental rates are projected to be, what the mortgage payment's going to look like is a really crucial part of investing in today's world. Because like I said back, you know, when I bought, you know, eight, eight years ago, um, we just bought a condo, it's like 215,000, put our 20% down, mortgage payment was like 616 bucks. It brought in 1350 a rent. So net of condo fees and taxes cash flowing like, you know, three, 400 bucks a month. Um, it really didn't matter what you bought. Everything kind of cash flowed. Right. And now today, most stuff doesn't cash flow. And so it is really important to understand what that looks like and, and be able to be really, um, dialed in on your projections and your analysis. Well, that's awesome. That's great advice. Uh, and uh, I know that you guys have an am amazing power team that's uh, surrounding you guys there. Um, David, if our guests wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way that they can reach out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so anybody that wants to get in touch, I mean, feel free to email us. Um, I can be reached at david at visionmortgagegroup.ca. Um, or if you just want to kind of follow our content and, and, you know, watch some of what we're doing, some of the investment journey, uh, you can also follow us on Instagram, which is at ask vision mortgages. Um, but happy to provide consultations, happy to do portfolio reviews, kind of, I, I love educating first time investors into kind of how they can get into the space and how they can make that first jump. It's, it's a huge part of the reason why I do what I do. Um, so yeah, I absolutely love to work with people on that who are passionate about it and, and looking for ways to move forward and looking for advice on how to do that. Amazing. Thank you so much. And thanks for sharing with us today, David. It's been a pleasure chatting and, uh, I'm sure that everybody that's listening right now got, uh, some amazing takeaways out of this episode. Um, I know I sure did. I have a lot of notes that I've written down and, uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Sean.
We hope that you enjoyed the show today and that we brought you some value. We'd love it if you give some feedback, let us know what you think about the show and what you'd like to hear. And while you're at it, give us a follow so you don't miss out on any further episodes.